Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, another episode where we have to be mindful of potentially developing news. Uh, I was trying to follow uh, some news that I know you were on top of yesterday. There have been reports surfacing uh, that uh, Russian and Belarusian players might not be allowed in future CHL import drafts. Obviously, we're talking about uh, young potential NHL prospects going through the junior system in Canada. Uh, Dan Milstein, uh, a prominent agent who uh, has a lot of Russian clients, uh, he put that out there. It looks as if it was going to happen. It It didn't come to fruition yesterday, yesterday being Wednesday. But uh, the Canada-Russia series uh, that normally happens between young Russian prospects and CHL-based players, that has been put off. That, I believe, has been canceled for 2022. But as of right now, entirely possible by the time you get this episode, things may change. No word on the status of Russian and Belarusian players with regards to the CHL import draft. CJ, obviously, you know uh, what's going on or you have a better sense of what's going on than I do. What can you tell us at this point now uh, why there has been no decision rendered on that subject? Well, it was discussed Wednesday, right? There's an executive call, uh, you know, from among the Ontario Hockey League and, and they weighed whether or not it was worth, you know, not allowing, you know, essentially banning Russian and Belarusian players from being selected in the import draft. You know, part of me wonders, you know, how much the tweet from Dan Milstein might have affected the decision or not there if that maybe applied some pressure um because you know i think there's there's varying levels to these sanctions right it's one thing maybe for the double ihf to say russia can't compete in in a world under 18 tournament as is this happening in april and then you know it's quite something else to maybe say that, that 16 and 17 year old russians can't play in the Canadian hockey league and so you know the decision's been delayed i, I don't get the sense julian i don't think this is going to develop and change in the next 24 hours i mean that that import draft you know, typically doesn't happen till June. And so I think there is some time here to see what happens perhaps in the world landscape, keep monitoring what's happening in the sporting landscape, because that's changing every day. You know, I saw this morning, you know, F1 has formally, you know, got rid of the Russian race. Obviously there's been developments at the Paralympics where Russian and Belarusian athletes have, after initially being allowed to participate as neutrals, aren't being allowed to participate at all. You know, a lot's happening quickly in this, this time window. And, I think the OHL wisely took a bit more time to consider that decision. 
um, you know, about how to, to handle those, those players from those, that country, the import draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've already provided, you've already mentioned that we're not expected to hear anything on that anytime soon, at least possibly not by the time you guys listen to this podcast. I'm just curious now if there's anything to be expected at the professional level. We know the, uh, we know that we have seen some decisions in the last few days with regards to advertising of certain players and associating with uh, Russian businesses and brands with regards to the league and other professional leagues have done the same thing. I wonder what's going to happen with uh, statuses of players or or other things of that nature. I'm just curious if there's for expecting to see more. Well, there's definitely going to be more impact. You know, I actually had a chance to speak to Dan Milstein a couple times on Wednesday. Um, you know, for context, he's got about 75 percent uh, of the, the Russian players in the NHL or his clients. You know, last year he had a number of CHL clients that were taken in the import draft when Russians and Belarusians were allowed to be taken there. You know, obviously has, I mean, really he's got a unique lens into all this because he was born in Ukraine and he was a political refugee um, that, that came and lived in the U.S., you know, represents all these Russians. I mean, has sort of deep ties on all sides of this issue. And, you know, he was pretty unequivocal when I asked him that none of his clients are considering leaving the NHL. You know, what we've seen is a number of foreigners have bolted the KHL, you know, wanting to get out of Russia, terminating contracts there. I wondered if because of some of the uncomfortable situations that the Russian players in North America found themselves in. And, you know, Dan spoke of his clients getting some very threatening, even having, you know, threats to the life of, of some of his clients come in through social media and DMs and, and the like. You know, but he was pretty unequivocal that no one's considering leaving here um, because of the conditions. But obviously, it's an evolving situation and story. I mean, I, I suppose there's um, the possibility that could change. But at this point in time, you know, roughly 40 players from Russia have played in the NHL this year. I, you know, I don't see any anything happening there. But man, like this is it's a difficult time. I can't imagine what it's like to be. You know, it's a, it's a hard issue, right? I mean, some of the guys we're talking about are 23 years old, really have no connection to this. You know, you, you have even someone like Nikita Zadorov, who on his Instagram feed put out a, a no war post. You know, that he's a client of Dan Milstein's. I mean, he's essentially spoken out against the war as a Russian. Um, you know, it's just a polarized, difficult time in the world. And, and you know, from speaking to Dan, you get that sense is this is taking a toll. He said, you got to stop the madness here um, with some of the things that are that are happening to his clients. and and you know, he says that respectfully as a Ukrainian, you know, who's got friends back in Ukraine that, you know, we have to be careful, I think, who the who gets victimized in all this. I mean, I think that there's a fine line between wanting to punish Russia, the country, and send a message to Vladimir Putin specifically. And, you know, what happens to other Russians in the world just, just going about their daily lives. Absolutely. Um, in your conversation with Dan, did you two get into at any point about what could be done to ensure the safety of, of some Russian of Russian players uh, who may be targeted by threats, uh, a player like Nikita Zadorov, obviously uh, making his thoughts known about the war in Ukraine. If anything could happen to him, for example, did you guys get into that particular topic? We did, you know, and he said the league and the teams have been great. Like he, he said that they've sort of stepped up security. Didn't get too much more specific than that maybe for, for security reasons, but, you know, I got the sense that, that he feels supported and his clients feel supported by the league and the response they've had, but, you know, it's still a discomforting time. Like, you know, he mentioned one of his clients, you know, his his wife had been targeted online and some Nazi language directed at his baby. And, you know, just, 
you know, I, I really can't imagine. I mean, this is a this is a difficult thing for us to watch from this side of the world on CNN or whatever news channel you choose to consume. You know, I think it's quite a different issue if you're European even. You know, I know Finns feel a different way about it, you know, being in another neighbor of Russia. You know, it's a little bit more immediate, I think, for, for people in that situation. And obviously we're talking about players here who probably – each and every one of them have family and friends back home that there's some concern about too, just generally. I mean, just not because of specific threats, just because this is an instable time. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know that there's like specific things he identified, but he, he did make it very clear that the league has, has made the players feel comfortable and done what they could to, to alleviate a difficult situation. But he said it's a difficult situation. This is an unfortunate time. And, and um you know, I'm really of two minds about it myself because I, un I understand sanctions against the country. And, you know, I, I don't think the IHF, as I mentioned in our, in our Monday pod, had much choice but to remove some tournaments from, from Russia and that, that type of thing. But now when you're talking about individual Russians, I mean, I can, I can have sympathy for them because, again, we, we know of at least one that's publicly not supporting the war and, and is still facing, you know, some, some uncomfortable situations here playing and living in North America. Yeah, that's that's the next thing I want to bring up here. Like, I, I I wonder and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I wonder about, I guess, the fairness of if it ever if it for the point of, of restricting Russians from being in an import draft. Some people have said, hey, do we get to a point where we suspend contracts for Russian players in the NHL? Is that fair? Because at the end of the day, you are ultimately going to affect players who want nothing to do with Vladimir Putin, who want nothing to do with the war going on in the U in, in Ukraine, I should say. Uh, it, that's that's the biggest question I have with this. Yeah, and look, this might be generational for me because I've grown up in a, in a world where the countries I lived in didn't really have war get anywhere near their borders. But I, I think that's, like, to me, that's totally unfair. I mean, just because you were born in a place... I mean, look, we live in a country... That Canada prides itself on, on, you know, having a, a really open immigration policy of welcoming people from around the world. I mean, to discount people from making a living just because they were born somewhere, you know, and now live here, I, I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, Dan Milstein himself is, I believe he's about 45. He's, he's lived in the U.S. since he was 16. He's a proud American citizen, lives in Michigan, but he was born in Ukraine, does a lot of business in Russia. I mean, did we disqualify him? You know, I, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I saw, was it Dominic Kasich that was sort of early on, you know, sent some tweets saying that Russian, all Russian players contracts should be terminated. I've seen others sort of take suspended, suspended. I, I don't like it. I, I don't like that. The idea of that. Um, but you know, this is a polarizing time and, and maybe I'd view it differently if, if it was, you know, Russia invading Canada, maybe I'd think differently about it. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to be sensitive to all sides of how you might view what is clearly a complex and emotional issue. Um, but again, sometimes a country takes action that its citizens don't support. So in this case, we're talking about people who live and work in North America who pay taxes here. You know, the, the Ovechkin case is very specific, right? I mean, he's got a picture of Vladimir Putin on his Instagram feed. He's, he's been very openly supportive of him in the past. I mean, at the same time, Artemi Panarin last year, you know, spoke out against his government. So, again, I just think it's, it's a broad brush it and say just because you're Russian, you, you shouldn't have the right to play in the NHL. I mean, I, 
that would be way too far for me. And I, and we should be clear. I've got no Intel or haven't heard. I don't think the league's considering that by any stretch, but if we're talking about like right and wrong, what should happen, what shouldn't happen, that, that to me would be wrong if, if they ever took that, that step. But for context, the Dominic Koshek uh, tweets, I know I mentioned them, I think on the last podcast, I don't know if I actually read through the Twitter thread because it started with him commenting on Alexander Ovechkin's media availability. I'll just read it out. Cause he did read, he did write it in English. What not only an alibist, a chicken shit, but also a liar. Every adult in Europe knows well that Putin is a mad killer and that Russia is waging an offensive war against the free country uh, and its people. The NHL must immediately suspend contracts for all Russian players. Every athlete represents not only himself and his club, but also his country and its values and actions. That is a fact. If the NHL does not do so, it has indirect co-responsibility for the dead in Ukraine. I also want to write that I am very sorry for those Russian athletes who condemn Vladimir Putin and his Russian aggression in Ukraine. However, at the moment, I also consider their exclusion a necessity. So Dominic Koshik is taking the stance that says every Russian player, regardless of whether you are for Vladimir Putin or not, should have uh, their contract suspended. And yeah, I'm with you, CJ. Like, it's, it's such a difficult situation to maneuver through with the idea of even considering that there are guys who support Putin. There are guys who don't support Putin. And also if it's going to get to a point where you're going to try to determine which guy is which, how, I mean, not to say that anyone would lie about that sort of thing, but what's stopping a player from saying that they don't support Putin as a way to ensure they don't get suspended. I think that's, those are just different things. I think if you're the league, even if you were considering this, which as you just said, they are not, or at least it doesn't seem like they are, those are things you have to consider. It's a very difficult situation. It is. And look, I think in our lifetime, we're going to see the idea of countries evolve. You know, I think people are going to be less sort of straight patriotic. And I'm not speaking of any one country. I mean, all countries. I think that we're going to reorganize ourselves in a sort of rapidly evolving world. I mean, look, we, we're doing this podcast now seamlessly. You in Montreal, me in Toronto. We've been in the same room twice and we've done this podcast for several months. You know, everyone, the, the nature of work has changed so much during the pandemic. And I think we're going to see people spread out all over the world more. And I, I just think there's going to be a reorganization. And so to me, it's just dangerous to say, because you were born in this piece of geography, you can't now live in this and work here. You know, I, I'm certainly, no part of me is tolerating, you know, an aggressive act by Russia, a completely unprovoked, unlawful invasion of an, an otherwise free nation. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic to the lives lost in Kiev and other parts of Ukraine. Um, but I, I also think we, we have to be careful how far you go with some individuals that are of, of Russian heritage that have really have nothing to do with the conflict. Um, and so, look, I respect Dominic Kasich's position. Again, he, he's from a country, the Czech Republic, that, you know, has a history with communism, has had, you know, before his time on, on Earth. But, but, you know, he's probably grown up with relatives with a different view on Russia um, because of the history between their countries. And so, you know, I can respect that that's his view. I just, I, I think that that would be a huge mistake by the league. And, and as I say, I've got no, no reason to believe they're, they're considering a, an action that drastic. If anything, in fact, I think the league's trying to support Russian players um, and, and Belarusian players that are, that are here, make sure that they're, they're safe and that they're looked after properly versus, you know, con you know, contemplating removing them entirely from, from the ability to play. 
anything else on this topic before we move on? This is a developing story. I'm sure we're going to keep talking about it for podcasts to come uh, as long as the war is going on in Ukraine. Yeah, I think, you know, the KHL situation is interesting. Um, you know, it's not directly on this topic, but it's sort of a natural spinoff of this situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in speaking to some agents uh, over in Europe that, that have clients there, obviously, you know, one guy was telling me he has a player who had the equivalent of $1.2 million in the bank in rubles. And overnight that was worth 700,000 because that, that currency is collapsing. And, you know, there's been all these um, international sort of tariffs or, or restrictions placed on the, the banking system in Russia. I mean, the KHL is, it's either the second or third best league professional hockey is played in in the world, depending on how you view the American hockey league versus the KHL. And it's a, Immediately, you know, one of the spinoffs here is a shadow of what it was, you know, with players rushing to get out of the country, some of them losing that money. I mean, let's face it, the reason a lot of foreigners have played in the KHL traditionally it was proved to be a place to make a lot of money if you couldn't play in the NHL. Um, you know, there's some doubts in some circles about sort of the viability of what the league will even look like next season. And so, you know, just again, we focus on the hockey standpoint of, you know, what's a, an international, huge international story is, is, you know, pro hockey out of this isn't going to look the same. I mean, we've already seen a couple teams drop out, but you know, how many teams and if there's a league next season is still an open discussion. And then if there isn't, of course, it's sort of going to be a reordering of things where players play and jobs and all that stuff. And so, you know, I think I, I find that interesting, you know, they're going ahead with the playoffs here. Two of the playoff series were walkovers because the teams pulled out. And so the teams they were playing just got to forfeit their way into the next round. Um, which is unusual in itself. And, and yeah, so I think the KHL will be interesting to watch, even if you're, you're not concerned about which team wins the Gagarin cup in the next two months is, is just what form it takes. And, and if it becomes a place that, that players want to go play, you know, especially those that, that aren't from Russia originally. Well said, yes. As I mentioned before, we're going to track this story a lot, as long as we see more stuff from it. And again, it's a developing situation. It's entirely possible we could see more developments with regards to Russian and Belarusian players, whether at the pro level or at the junior level, by the time we get the podcast, by the time we get back on Monday. So CJ and I will be on top of that. We'll also be on top of a whole bunch of other different stories in and around the NHL as well. Uh, we're not going to do a trading pile today only because, you know, the, the hot stove can only generate so much. I know there are people who ask every episode, why don't we talk about this player? Why don't we talk about that player? Uh, just like a lot of people like to joke around that CJ will repeat stories on this podcast. I don't know if people are going to like the fact he's going to repeat information about what's out there with Claude Giroux and, and, and John Klingberg. So, uh, this we're going to keep I need that my host. If I'm going to repeat a story, you got to stop me before I get too far into it again. Cause at the same time, like I, I kind of liked hearing the soup bed Nashville predator story a third time. Uh, sorry. <laughs> It's hard. You only have so many stories in your life, right? I mean, yeah. And, you know, we record this thing twice a week. I forget what, what I've told you personally, what I've told you, if I've said it on the pod, like you, you kind of get the wires crossed a little bit. So, you know, I think you I mentioned just like that story on the SDP told too. It. I was going to say, I'm rewarding the the loyal listeners that have listened to every pod. So they know I'm repeating the stories. Like you got to be an OG to even realize I'm repeating the story. I mean, you got to be really invested in this thing. And so I thank you if you've heard a few of these stories a few times. Are we at a point now? Where we've done the podcast long enough that if you've lit that, like we we have OG listeners of the podcast. Like, 
like, I, like, I think that works for the SDP. Like, we're like, does that work for us? Are we at that point yet? Like, like, we're like almost 50 episodes. That could work. 50 episodes. They were supposed to be half hour shows. As we know, they're basically, <laughs> I mean, we've recorded somewhere like probably 40 hours of pod, maybe even more. Um, and some people have probably listened to every one of them from start to finish, which is awesome. I know my dad has, he's an OG listener. Shout let's out go. Over let's Papa. go. Um, but there's a poppy. Let's do it. There's a few others out there. Uh, let us know in the comment section uh, on YouTube. If you have listened to every single podcast of the Chris Johnston show, we appreciate you very much. Think you know the Brooks ghost? Think again. Introducing the all new better than ever ghost 16. Now with nitrogen infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good. Every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is a topic I want to get to, uh, which I understand because uh, you are in that market. You know, you have the insights on that. And I also understand. the podcast again because everyone's going to get on that too. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to add this disclaimer. We are not a Leafs podcast. We're not trying to be a Leafs podcast. CJ just happens to work in Toronto and the Leafs goaltending situation happens to be in the spotlight right now. So we're going to spend a few minutes on it. Well, I mean, look, they're one of the top teams in the league. And in the last week, they've won a game 10-7 and lost a game 5-1 to Buffalo. So, I mean, just, <laughs> just, that, mix, just that mix alone, you know, it's notable. Only in oh, Toronto could this be happening. in Toronto. Good Lord. At this point, I'm just watching LFRs, just wondering, when is Steve literally just going to put on clown makeup or joker makeup just and just turned into the joker because what's going on in toronto right now between jack campbell and peter morazek is absolutely ridiculous like like they, they, they've just turned into shells of themselves like like the goalie the goaltending's bad oh it's been bad like sub 900 bad since january 1st you know for over two months now again on a team that's winning um but you know it helps when you score as much as the leaf scored you can let in seven and still win the game in regulation as the Leafs did in Detroit last weekend. Uh, someone mentioned to me, Jim Ralph, who's, who does the color commentary for the Leafs radio broadcast it. The Leafs played three games against Detroit this year. Detroit scored 15 goals and lost all three games in regulation. So oh that's, that, that's difficult to do. I mean, since the 1980s, that, that might've been normal, but you know, we're a long way beyond the eighties. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's a fascinating situation. I think, they're two distinct things, even though they're, they're two goaltenders giving similarly unpredictable performances. But, you know, Jack Campbell was unbelievable for half a season and has just lost it. And, you know, it's acknowledged that it's, it's a mental thing as much as anything. Um, and, you know, sympathetic to that. But, man, that scares you, I think, if you're a fan of the team. 
And then in, you know, Peter Mrazek's case, he just hasn't played very much. And so it's hard, you know, it doesn't look good against Buffalo. You know, I'm not really, it's not for me. I can't hang that all on him. It, like that, they, it was not a very good game for the team. Um, they gave up some gruesome defensive lapses that, that led to some of those scoring chances, but you know, the guy missed most of the first half of the season with two different groin injuries and just hasn't played a lot. And, does, you know, he's, you know, you know, you have over, he's proven himself to be an average to slightly above average goaltender over a long NHL career, but you don't know what you're going to get from him on any given point right now, because I don't think he's found that groove and it doesn't help that the other guy's struggling. So, um, you know, I think the natural question is the deadline. You know, will the Leafs be active? I'm sure they'll look around. The, the problem I see is there's just there's not an obvious solution here. Uh, there's not one goaltender out there that's clearly available. You could say, like, yes, give up a bunch of assets, go get him, everything will be fine. Uh, there's a lot of hope out there for some of the other goaltenders, whether it's a guy like Jonas Corposalo in Columbus, like who's likely to be moved. You know, even Braden Holpe might be moved by Dallas, although I think it depends where they sit in, in terms of the playoff picture, you know, that might not end up materializing either. I mean, there's just, there's not a sure thing. I mean, goaltending, as we know, by its nature is not a sure thing. There's only a few, few goalies every year, like Andre Vasilevsky, who just give you absolute confidence. I mean, just above average, amazing all the time. He had four shutouts in Tampa's four clinching games in the playoffs last year, which is unbelievable. Um, but beyond those, those real high performers, it, there's, there's a mystery there. And, and, I don't think there's any hiding from the fact the Leafs have sprung a leak uh, defensively and, and, you know, it doesn't help. I think naturally the, the play runs through the team when the goalies aren't sharp, like everyone's trying not to make a mistake instead of sort of playing free. And this is, this is a big point in the season because the Leafs don't actually play. They've got a run here of games against sort of non-playoff teams. So you're not going to see them against top competition much before March 21st, you know, when, when management has to, make its final decision, what the roster is going to look like, you know, for the playoffs and that difficult decision with so much riding on this year, just the idea, because, you know, the Leafs again have been an elite team in pretty much every way you measure that um, everywhere else, but, you know, it could all be upended by goaltending if, if they don't get this sorted out. Joseph Wall, any other options in the house that could work as stop gaps? Eric Colgren, they have, um, you know, he's down in the American hockey league. He, he actually won a Swedish league title last year and then signed as a free agent. Uh, you know, all of those, we would, if, if it comes to playing one of those two guys, though, we're talking Hail Mary territory. Like, yes, that's like, that's like going to Jordan Bennington back when the blues went to him in that 2018, 19 season, when he, he started the year as their fifth goalie and just, you know, caught fire and won a Stanley cup. And he's been in the NHL ever since you know, I guess that could play out, but you know, it's not, we wouldn't, I wouldn't label either of those as high percentages at this point in time. I don't know. Maybe you look to someone like James Reimer, you know, in San Jose. Um, but I, I just don't see an obvious fix. And I think, so that's, if you're in the front office, obviously you're just hoping this fixes itself. Like you're just hoping that Jack Campbell rediscovers, you know, he played 70 games as a Maple Leaf at like a 920 save percentage. Like it's, like he has shown over a meaningful stretch of time that he can be someone you can trust to play a lot of games. It's just now it's a meaningful stretch the other way where really the last two months, you know, there's, there's some crooked numbers going up on, on his stat sheet. And 
you know, the fact that he's acknowledged, you know, mentally, you wonder, look, he's in a contract here. Like he, you, you can, I can sympathize with the, the struggle that might be when, you know, when, when all of a sudden you're going the wrong way, you're thinking you're costing yourself money. You could, it could get in your mind. Like I, I don't think it's entirely implausible that that's part of what's gone on here. You know, Jack hasn't told me that himself, but you know, he did acknowledge in Vegas. I had a chance to talk to him on the all-star weekend that it's been on his mind, the contract and some of that uncertainty. And so, I mean, it's, this is why we watch sports, right? It's, it's like a constant sort of soap opera, if you will. Um, I don't, I don't know how, like, I, I can't imagine it continues this poorly for this long. Um, but you never know. And, and the longer it continues as we get up to the 21st of March, I do think it puts more pressure on trying to find some kind of solution out there to, to turn the tide. James Reimer, you mentioned that name, James Reimer there. We all know someone who would be uh, very excited to uh, dust off his $60 James Reimer action figure or doll. I would be very excited about that. And that's our good buddy, uh, Steve Dangle. So uh, yeah, that was like a little Easter egg in this, in this episode for Steve Dangle, just to like perk up his ears, you know? <laughs> I look back at that clip. I don't know if you've seen that like old episode, I think for like three years ago, where like basically Adam and Jesse are shaving him for spending 60 bucks on, on that doll. That is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> oh man yeah for everyone else watching this podcast who hasn't seen it uh go look that up speaking of goalies it's funny that we're talking about the Leafs goaltending situation uh knowing that uh two minor deals kind of happened yesterday the Flames uh got Michael McNiven from the Montreal Canadiens I think that guy if you really look down the Canadiens depth chart he I think would be like fifth or sixth further down their depth chart now like Stalock uh, making the move from the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, any, and, and both those deals, I think, for future considerations is just, I'm just going to put my tinfoil hat on here. Is there, is there anything to those? Is someone trying to clear salary for something? Something going on? Hmm. I'd love to say yes. I think in both cases, it's more doing the goaltender favor. You know, finding him a new opportunity, new organization, interested in him. You know, future considerations for those at home that, that, don't follow this closely, literally mean nothing. The polite way of saying we're giving this player to another organization for nothing. And, you know, Alex Daylock, I, I believe he was a long haul COVID case yes. uh, after being in Edmonton. And, and you know, I think it's just giving him a new organization, fresh start. You know, San Jose has their AHL team in the same city as, as the NHL team. So whether he's an AHL or an NHL, or he can live in that area and, and you know, try to find his way back to the NHL. Um, you know, McNiven, as you mentioned, is just buried down the depth chart. And, and yeah, I think it's really more about finding those players some some new opportunity somewhere else, more than a precursor of what's to come. Okay. All right. So taking the tinfoil hat off, nothing to see here with those two. Hey, well, you said you say yourself, you like a good conspiracy theory. So I was, I was just curious. Well, and I, I would love to tell you it's it's something else. You know, Blockbuster is the next shoe to drop, you know, but I'm pretty sure Calgary is pretty well situated in net right now with you know Jacob Markstrom at the top of their food chain having such a phenomenal year. You know, San Jose, I guess we could maybe make a case just because their season probably isn't heading towards a playoff spot, although it kind of hung around. Um, but, you know, I think more likely than not, it's just doing right by some individual players than, than anything that sort of organizationally is going to change. I don't remember, speaking of the San Jose Sharks, I don't remember if we've mentioned this guy's name at all in the trading pile. You can tell me if I'm wrong here, but if the Sharks are going to fall fast or not fall fast, but if they're going to fall out of contention for the playoffs, 
I wonder what that means for Thomas Hurdle and and his future with the Sharks. We haven't. I don't know if we've talked about him that much on the show. I don't think we have. We haven't. And, and you know, at this point, the Sharks are still trying to sign him. And so, you know, it's not clear to other teams. It's not clear to me if if he'll be available at the deadline. You know, I think that they have a difficult choice if it gets to the deadline and they haven't found common ground on a contract extension um, because there's probably a pretty good case to be built to, to deal him. You know, I still don't know how many buyers we're going to have in this marketplace. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a few sort of obvious ones and we've talked about Colorado and even Florida, Toronto, you know, I think Calgary will, will try to, to bolster things on their blue line. Like, like there are teams that there obviously that are going to be adding, but you know, I think one danger we have is we have a quite a number of players that of semi-prominence or prominence that, could be available for the right price. I just don't know how many teams are stepping up to pay those prices. And so, you know, it's that, that will definitely be a situation we'll be monitoring closely uh, because the, the contract talks are ongoing as we're reporting this. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's some positivity there, but you know, the sharks have to, they have to be smart too, right? I mean, someone at Thomas Hurdle's situation is going to want some term on his deal. You know, they're kind of in a turn it over phase still. And so how long do they want to sign them for? I think that that's probably the delicate part of that negotiation. But, you know, at this point in time, the focus is on signing him, you know, much like Philip Forsberg in Nashville. Uh, and, and you know, even the, the players in Anaheim, Hampus Lindholm and the like. But in all those situations, it could turn in a week or so if, if it just looks like contract talks aren't going to produce a new deal. Seller's market on March 21st? I think it's a buyer's market to me, just because I don't think there's a ton of teams buying. Like, I think... I think Montreal, like Montreal got criticized a little bit for the Toffoli deal in some corners. Like I think they did well to get ahead of that market and, and at least sell that, that piece because, you know, if you say you have to trade a certain player, like I think there's a danger of not getting full value back. You know, it's even something Pat Verbeek said to the new Anaheim Ducks GM in, in an article with Pierre Lebrun this week that he's, he's trading as UFAs if, if, you know, if they're not signed. Well, what happens if the market isn't great? Like, are you trading those guys for a fourth round pick? You know, I'm, I'm guessing not. I, I mean, who knows? But I think this might end up being a buyer's market as it develops. Just, just my sense of things. I mean, there's the problem is no teams have cap room to buy. Yeah. Just really boring. Like, and if you've heard it somewhere else, like this isn't high level analysis, but it's also just the truth. Uh, unfortunately, the hard salary cap places some limitations on what can happen. And so I just don't see a ton of buying that's going to happen. And so, I think sellers are going to be in a difficult spot if, if they're convinced they have to, you know, move certain players. They just might not be getting full value back for them in return. What's the first thing you're going to do once uh, you leave TSN studios after trade deadline day, March 21st, after you go home? Well, I don't think I'm going to go directly home. You know, there's already been some talk with Pierre Lebrun. Uh, I don't know how much I want to share about his personal business, but he's on a, he's on an alcohol free month leading up to trade deadline. <laughs> And he wants to go for a nice dinner with some red wine once we get on that <laughs> night of trade deadline. So um, there's been talk of a steakhouse maybe, but it's the, the plans aren't finalized, but my guess is it won't be like a wild night. I don't want to give the, wrong no. impression, but it'll, it'll probably be a nice meal and a nice bottle or two of red wine with Mr. LeBron and anyone else who ends up sharing that, that dinner with us. Okay. So definitely, I mean, we already established this, but we're definitely not going to have a podcast on the Monday. <laughs> If you wanted to do that, I could do the pod. But I think we're going to do the Tuesday pod. We're going to do the Tuesday. We're going to do the Tuesday. Who knows? Maybe sure. I'll be playing hurt. You'll get to know how many bottles of wine there were, I guess, depending on my performance that Tuesday. 
Yeah, that might be your Jordan flu game. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Well, well, we'll there's every excuse to maybe overindulge. Getting through the trade deadline when you're in my kind of job is is one of them. It's it can oh, I look at, I'm actually enjoying myself still at this point. Like I'm not beaten down by it. like some years I do feel beaten down by this point, but I'm I'm don't I, I'm fresh still. So maybe it won't be as much of a relief as it can be, but some man, some years it's like climbing Everest. Oh yeah especially when it culminates in like a day where like there's not as much activity going on. And the one trade you're worried about is like, I don't know, like Steven Weiss moving to like Detroit or something. I believe that happened one year. That's a, that's a, yes. <laughs> yes. It can be, yes. it can be a long eight hours of live TV. Let's put it that way or whatever the, the timeline is. For sure. So make sure you enjoy yourself that day. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um... I want to move on to uh, some GM news. Uh, Kyle Davidson, uh, the uh, who was the interim GM for Chicago Blackhawks uh, as of late October in light of everything that went on with the organization with your deal with Kyle Beach and the resignations that happened after, he ends up uh, having the interim tag taken off of him and he is now the full-time GM of the Chicago Blackhawks, beating out two other candidates, uh, Matthew Darsh, who uh, the director of player personnel in Tampa, was linked to Montreal, was also linked to Vancouver, and Jeff Greenberg, who was the AGM, who's now still the AGM of the Chicago Cubs. And uh, looking at how things are going in baseball, I'm not sure Jeff Greenberg's going to have that much to do for the foreseeable future, but we'll see how that goes with negotiations. Any thoughts on Kyle Davidson as GM? Well, I mean, he obviously had to, it was a long process for him to endure to, to keep the job. I mean, he was the interim GM since what, October, late October. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, so that's several months where, and he acknowledged himself. He didn't know over that four month stretch if at, there were times he wondered if he would get the job. I actually had heard by the way, that Jeff Greenberg, I think he might've been the actual runner up. Like I think he was very close to getting the job, which, you know, in an alternate universe would be very unhockey to, to hire someone completely from another sport um, to do that. I mean, from a thought experiment, that would have been interesting. But I mean, Kyle Davidson's got his own great story. He joined the Blackhawks organization 12 years ago as an unpaid intern. Uh, and he's, you know, still not yet 40. And he's now the general manager of the team at, you know, what's really an interesting juncture um, in the organization's history. I mean, clearly they have a lot of rebuilding to do sort of in the community, off ice, things unrelated to wins or points in the standings um, because of everything that's that's gone on around the organization. And he's also taking over when he's got one year beyond this season of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves under contract, you know, franchise legends. So those guys finish their careers in Chicago. And, you know, he'll have pretty important decision there or, or, you know, set of conversations with those players to see what they want to do. And he was pretty open about this being a full-scale rebuild. You know, he didn't place specific timelines, but he said, I don't know if it'll be three years or it'll be five years. I mean, he's opening up the possibility it's a five-year kind of rebuild, um, which is quite different than the way Stan Bowman, his predecessor, was acting when he, you know, traded away a first-round pick last year for Seth Jones and gave Seth Jones an eight-year contract. And so, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's a quite a – 
quite a spot for Kyle Davidson to find himself in. I don't know him personally, but I've, I've heard nothing but great things about him from people around the league that have dealt with him. Very smart, thoughtful guy. I thought he came across great in his press conference this week when he was, you know, unveiled as the GM, you know, Danny Wirtz, you know, his boss said that right from the moment they were looking to fill the job, uh, he made it clear he wanted the job. And so, you know, I think we'll reserve some judgment on until we see what, what he's able to do in that position. But, uh, you know, it was a pretty thorough process that Chicago underwent. You know, he even inter- interviewed uh, Teresa Resch, who works for the Toronto Raptors, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to some other hockey candidates, more traditional hockey candidates like Peter Shirelli, Eric Tolsky from, from Carolina. Got an interview, Scott Mellenby as well, uh, former Canadians uh, executive. But, um, you know, I, I'm fascinated to see with Kane and Taves in particular how that goes because – you know, I think a lot of it will be dictated by those players. Obviously, they have no movement clauses in their contract, but also just what they mean to the organization. You know, can, do they want to go play somewhere else or is it important to them to have full careers in Chicago? I think that's still to be determined. Man, such interesting situations in, in Pittsburgh and, and Chicago in the sense that they have these legacy veterans who have been forefronts of Stanley Cup championship winning teams. And ultimately, they should really be able to go out, go out on their own terms. But, like, what do you do if you're the GM of those franchises and you're trying to just, you know, move to the transition to another phase of your franchise's history? And, and in particular in Chicago, between Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, who on the ice, strictly speaking there, they have meant a lot to the team in terms of the championships that they've won. Like, what do you do if you're Kyle Davidson? It's a good question. Well, and it's sort of different situations. I mean, those are teams that competed. They were two of the best teams in the exact same era. They each won three cups kind of over that era. But, you know, Chicago has been adrift for a few seasons now where they haven't really been in the playoff mix at all. I know they were, they played in the bubble and beat Edmonton there in 2020 and they expanded playoffs, but you know, they've, they really haven't been a playoff team of consequence for five or six years. You know, Pittsburgh still like, even this year, to me, they're like defying gravity again, Mark Donk. And the like, <laughs> Buzz carrying, the penguins, carrying the penguins to glory. But you know, even Sidney Crosby, if you look, he had a slow start to the season. He had a wrist surgery, you know, in September. But like his last, what he's played the last like three months, he's scoring like crazy, putting up points like crazy. Like they just they never fall off the Penguins, and so it, it's a little different because I think it's easier in Pittsburgh in a sense to try to extend this win- window as long as they can. That being said, you know, if Getty Malkin and Chris Letang are both pending unrestricted free agents, so. You know, if you're going to keep the band together, you've got to sign those players and sort of figure out how to navigate that. You know, Chicago, I think there's more of a case to really tear it down because of, you know, the, the, the recent lack of success. And, you know, someone like Patrick Kane, again, continues to be extremely productive player. I'm sure there are contenders out there that would love to, to have him, especially if Chicago ate some salary to make that, that cap it a little easier to digest. But, you know, I do think it'll rest with those guys. You know, I have to imagine one of that group plays somewhere else. Like one of, just for fun, Crosby, yeah. Malkin, Latang, Kane, and Taves. Like one of those players. Like I would be surprised if all five of them retire either as full-time Penguins or full-time Blackhawks. Like I would, I would think. I just don't know yet who's moving on. I mean, I, I think if we rank them, I think Crosby is probably the least likely to play anywhere else. I really believe he'll spend his whole career in Pittsburgh. But who knows? I mean, things things change quickly in pro sports sometimes. Um, and, you know, especially with an athlete, like you just have so many, so few years to chase championships or to do that. I mean, we've, we've seen a number of guys move around the league late in their career after being sort of associated with one franchise. And so I'd be surprised if they all retired where they've been, but 
I don't yet know who's going to move on and when and how and, and all the circumstances of that. One guy who I was actually thinking about yesterday and their future and the possibility of them moving on elsewhere is Chris Letang or Letang, depending on which part of the country of Canada you may be from. Uh, I thought for, I thought for a little bit, I was like, you know, if the Canadians are actually supposed to be aggressive in free agency, what's it going to cost to bring back, a, I think, 34-year-old Chris Letang or Letang back to uh, Montreal? And then apparently that day, he said uh, he's heard that noise in his ears of going back to Montreal for years. So I feel like he tried to shut that down a little bit. But he would have been my pick for the most likely of some of the players you mentioned to leave the their current team to play for another one. Yeah, well, and look, his his agent was Kent Hughes throughout his career. You know, the yes. new manager in Montreal. So I mean, I think it's natural to draw that that link. You know, Chris Letang, someone too that he's his name's been in trade rumors at various points in his career. Like, yeah, you know, he he hasn't been a certain one hundred percent Penguin the whole time. You know, Genny Malkin way back, actually, there was some trade rumors around him. So, you know, it, anything's possible. Like, like, lots of great players. The Steve Eisenmans are rare, I guess, or the Nicholas Lidstroms, you know, players that, that play only for one team. Um, and so the money might be better somewhere else for Chris Letang, or, or maybe even the, the term on a contract given his age. And maybe he's wondering about playing at home. You know, I, I have trouble criticizing that with any player, no matter where they're from. I mean, family considerations, maybe the team you grew up cheering for, like all that stuff. You know, it's what brought John Tavares partially back to Toronto. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of nice, I think, for players to try something new. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see how these go. I mean, I, you know, Pittsburgh's hoping to go on a playoff run here. I think they'd like to add players if they could. Um, but Chicago's, it's a little different circumstance. You basically have to ask Patrick Kane and, and Jonathan Taves, do you care about the chance to win another Stanley Cup? Because I don't think that they can promise those players while they're still active players that they'll have a team even good enough to compete for that. So it's really, are you fine just being a good mentor and, and seeing this through or, or do you want one more chance? And, you know, maybe after winning three, they'll say that's enough, but you know, winning gets addictive, right? It, it, winning is, uh, you know, it's, it, there's such competitive guys too. It, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't begrudge them, I guess, if they wanted to, to chase a championship somewhere else. I want to move on to one final topic before we get to stick taps. Uh, there was a not really a report, but when we've talked about women's hockey on this podcast before, we know a best on best league is, is what is needed uh, for the game, for the sport, just for everyone who's a fan of hockey to enjoy when it comes to women's players. Uh, again, the conversation was brought up. I believe uh, Chris Botta, who I think might have discussed on a podcast, the possibility of that coming back. I've seen uh, fellow scribes, uh, Marissa and Jemmy, uh, say, hey, I, I talked about this early on in February. I think Haley Salvian's also kind of talked about this on, on, her, on her platform as well. There has been talk about this for quite some time. And once again, we're back at this well saying, hey, when's this going to happen? Is this going to be soon? CJ, I'm not sure what you know, but I'd like to know what you know. And I'd also like to get into a discussion about what you think a women's league needs for it to be truly successful. Well, I think, you know, what's happening is, is conversations have advanced beyond where they've been in the past in terms of seeing this through with the, with the PWHPA and some NHL teams and, and sponsors about kind of having creating teams that are affiliated with the NHL teams that, that could form some kind of league. And, you know, by no stretch of the imagination is this done, but, it does seem as though there's been genuine progress there. And that's, that's where some of this hope comes through. And, and, you know, really 
it's clear to me what what you need for a league. You, you need a league that pays the players living wages where they don't have to have other jobs if they don't choose to, and they can train and focus full time on being professional hockey players and, and being, you know, on their craft that way. And, you know, give the PHF credit because it's still a league that's given, you know, women a chance to, to play and to compete against each other and get paid, but it's still not at a point, even with the recent announcement of, of bumping the salary cap where, you know, the players aren't making enough to live on it, quite frankly, without other subsidies or other jobs, other forms of, of income to support them. And so, you know, I, I think that it makes the most sense to have a league either directly affiliated with the NHL or even just teams affiliated with NHL teams. You know, you can share resources, you can play in those arenas, you can, I think, market to your fan base. It, it makes a lot of sense from a high level standpoint. And I think it's, it's the model that will most likely to bring success. I mean, we've seen it in the WNBA, um, you know, and that league's growing too. I know that they've, they've come out, they've, there's still issues there. I mean, it, look at this, this isn't like a wave the magic wand and you say, Oh, the league's formed every, every problem solved. Like this is still going to be a journey, but what's encouraging is it sounds like that journey might produce some, some breakthroughs here. Um, and, you know, look, the, the Canadian and, and U.S. women's teams are going to reprise the Beijing gold medal game in Pittsburgh uh, yes. next week, March 12th. You know, I think that there's a springboard here to build off the strong TV audiences, the, the games in Beijing produced, the, the momentum from that, hopefully the momentum from next week's game. And so, yeah, I think we're going to see some announcements here in the relatively near future. And we've got to kind of see where it goes. But, you know, I, you have to like that it's at least getting to the point where this is coming to fruition and, and a league can start to get off the ground. But, you know, as I say, I think it will still be a, a building process as you go. It's, it's, it's not just like if you build it, they will come. I mean, it's, it's still going to require support and hopefully we can support it on our channels, Julian, when, when it does happen and talk about it. And Absolutely. Um, yeah, but I, I do think it's going to happen. I think there's, there's going to be some teams launched that are affiliated with NHL teams and, and, I think that would be a great place to start. Uh, I'm going to also plug the Noxie and Cax podcast, uh, which is on our network with uh, two great players in Liz Knox and Kahele Mar. Uh, they had a really great episode the other day with Cassie Campbell Pascal, uh, who basically bossed up and 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 let everybody know that uh, when uh, I think the UAT championships for women were canceled, she was like, hey, I'm getting on the phone with the president of the IHF. That's a boss ass move. Straight up. Doesn't surprise uh, no, doesn't surprise me at all. She's great. Um, I think it is time for stick taps here on the CJ show. It's something we do every Thursday where we uh, give a stick tap and I'm um, pulling out the mini stick here. I have another one, a lime green one that's uh, still in the packaging. That's uh, maybe I'll pull out for another episode, but uh, we do what we would like to show uh, some love and show some shout outs uh, to people around the hockey world. Uh, CJ, do you want to start? Yes, and uh, I apologize in advance for the way I pronounce the name, but Ivan Masachenko, which is that's not quite the right way to pronounce it, but you know he's come down uh, with a serious illness. You know, likely won't play the rest of the season. He's one of the top draft picks for the 2022 entry draft. Uh, was was ranked by NHL Central Scouting as the eighth best European skater in, in the most recent rankings. You know, would have probably been a first round pick. Might still be a first round pick. Uh, I'll give him my stick tap. Reminds me a little of the Rodian Emroff story, unfortunately, the Leafs prospect from last week. You know, too young to be dealing with with serious 
uh, illnesses, but you know, we send Ivan our best and, and you know, hope that, that he comes through this okay first and foremost and that he's able to resume his NHL or his, his, sorry, his, his hockey career on the other side of this thing. Yeah, uh, Ivan, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to second that as well. Uh, just hearing about that just before we started off today, uh, a little bit troubling to hear. I just hope uh, nothing but the best for him. Um, I'm going to give stick taps to uh, NHL teams who actually came up with creative Black History Month practice jerseys this month. We are in March now, so we're a couple days out of Black History Month. Uh, two teams that come to mind, uh, the Kings, the Canadians, I believe the Kraken also had some nice jerseys as well. I think it's a cool, small gesture on the part of teams to acknowledge the month, uh, which, I mean, yes, we under- I understand why the month is necessary to acknowledge that black history is something that needs to be acknowledged and part of actual history, but it needs to be part of actual history. And black history is not something that should be confined to the shortest month of the year. It should be something that is 24, seven, three, six, five. I make black history month every day. I do not need a month, but it is cool to see the NHL, at least in some small way, uh, at least acknowledge it and have cool jerseys, at least for practice. Like it's, it's fun. It was fun to see the Canadians unveil theirs a couple of days ago. And also for teams who uh, took the time to take the, uh, the uh, pledge from black girl hockey club as well. We're seeing more and more teams do that. I think it's just really cool to see as we see, try to have more diversity within the ranks of the sport, not just in media, but the players and the fans as well. It's good to see them get on board. There's so many more steps to go, uh, but I just think I will, I'm willing to give the NHL a little bit of praise uh, for the work that has been done so far on the part of its teams with jerseys and other inclusion measures. But there, again, still a lot to go. So I'm going to give my stick tap to some of those teams who did that over the last few days. The Sharks did a cool one too. You should check that one yes. out if you missed it. Uh, the actual, they actually went back to the original designer of their logo was a black man and they had him sort of stylize it again differently. And I, I, I liked what he came up with. So yeah, it was nice to see uh, teams. It's get it's bit by bit, Julian. I think there's a bit more each year and, and, now, not fast enough, maybe, but at least there's some progress there. At least we're trying or well, they're trying their best at the very least. With that, uh, that's going to do it for our Thursday edition of the CJ show. CJ, always a pleasure to do these shows with you. We will be back on Monday or learn Z, depending on what part of the country of Canada you are from, uh, with a brand new episode. We'll have the trading pile back. We'll have more trades and and rumors to discuss, I'm sure. Hey, maybe even some team will make a trade by the time we record a new podcast. Who knows? We'll have that to talk about. Uh, Join the SDPN Discord if you haven't already joined the SDPN Discord. Uh, Go to sdpn.ca. The Discord link is there. Uh, Subscribe to all the other podcasts on the SDPN network, including ours if you haven't already. Uh, Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. And I think that's going to do it for all the housekeeping I have to do because there's just so many things you just have to plug. And even mention the SDPN shop. I'm wearing these really comfortable dangle navy uh, sweatpants. They're very comfy, very comfy. But there's also really cool Coburg merch as well uh, for the SDPN. I really want to do this Coburg live show whenever this happens, whenever that happens. I really want to we'll, do it. I know you we'll do make too. it happen. We just got to wait for nicer weather too. I mean, we're in March. The best of my town. The best of my town. It, we're, we're in March. We're, we're, we're not that far off from getting better weather. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. Peace. We're back on Monday with a brand new episode. The Chris Johnson Show.
Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK and McKenzie.